0: How many of you remember this movie right here, up on the screen? Yeah, I can tell by the response. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? It's a uh, classic movie from the early 70s that is uh, based on a book entitled Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And this is a story about a poor boy named Charlie who wins a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to visit this amazing chocolate factory owned and run by the wild and crazy Willy Wonka. And I know the movie's a bit different from the book, but growing up, I loved watching the movie. And a while back, I hadn't seen it in a while, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and it was on TV, and I caught the tail end of the movie. And for those of you all who haven't seen it, I'm giving you a spoiler alert, okay? So you can close your ears if you want to go home and watch it later. Because I'm going to tell you the end of the movie. At the very end, remember, Willy Wonka gives Charlie this amazing chocolate factory. He gives it over to him for him to run. And, and he says that his family can come and live with him. And like any kid would be, Charlie is ecstatic. ecstatic. Because he's getting everything any child could ever want. And those of you all who have seen the movie recently, or maybe you watched it so many times, when you were young, you know it by heart. You remember at the very end of this movie, Willy Wonka tells Charlie one last thing. And this, for me, is is really one of the most memorable lines in the entire movie. Remember what he says? Well, check out this clip and and see what he says here. How did you like the chocolate factory, Charlie? I think it's the most wonderful place in the whole world. I'm very pleased to hear you say that, because I'm giving it to you. That's right. So the factory's yours, Charlie. You can move in immediately. And me? Absolutely. What happens to the The rest of the- The whole family. I want you to bring them all. Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. What happened? He lived happily ever after. Right. Did you catch that? I mean to bash on Willy Wonka this morning. Don't get mad at me. Did you catch what he said? Don't forget about the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. He lived happily ever after. That right there, folks, is the motto for our world today. This. Our world tells us that there is happiness to be had in life. There is satisfaction to be found that is lasting, and it is found in the things of this world. I remember agreeing with Willy Wonka when I was a child, don't you? I remember thinking to myself, that's right, you know? If I had what Charlie had, I'd be happy forever. Now, my perspective has changed a little bit today. Running a chocolate factory today seems like just a huge undertaking that would be stressful and laborious, and I'm sure many of you would agree with me, right? There's probably some different Businesses you'd rather own and run than a chocolate factory. But back then, I thought, that'd be the best job in the world. But here's the point. Though, though our perspectives have changed a bit, how many of us still reason in this way today? You ever thought to yourself, if I could just have that promotion, if I could just have his or her salary, If I could just have that person's nice, reliable vehicle. If I could just live in that house, in that neighborhood. If I could just have this person's intelligence, or that person's ability. If my wife or husband just looked more like this, or acted more like that, then I'd be happy forever. How many of you still believe that if you suddenly got everything you've always wanted in life, you'd be happy forever. For those of you all who remember my study through the book of Ecclesiastes, you remember we addressed this question over and over again as we studied through this book. And one Sunday, I even shared with you a a series of quotes from men who truly got everything they thought they could ever want in life. And I want to share a few of these quotes with you again. Look at them up on the screen. First John D. Rockefeller once said this, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt, a wealthy American businessman who at one time was the richest man in the world, once said, the care of 200 million is too great a load for any brain or back to bear. It's enough to kill anyone, and there's no pleasure in it. An extremely successful businessman and the first multimillionaire in the U.S., John Jacob Astor, once said, I am the most miserable man on the earth. And Henry Ford, the automobile king, once said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Wow. Those quotes are really telling, aren't they? And I'm convinced that there have been many more who have matched and even surpassed the accomplishments of these men who have felt the exact same way they probably even asked the question of whether or not it's even possible to experience true and lasting happiness in this life. We're going to learn this morning that it is. It is possible. Happiness is possible. Lasting satisfaction is attainable. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. This morning we are continuing our sermon series entitled Studying the Psalms. Last week, I introduced the study to you, and remember, I, I, I told you that though the book of Psalms is found in the poetry section of the Bible, remember, I also explained to you that there are many subgenres, many subcategories within the book of Psalms. Remember, I said that though the Psalms are, are listed as poetry, there are different kinds and types of, of, of Psalms within the book of Psalms. There are Psalms of wisdom. Praise Psalms, Psalms of Lament, Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalms of Confidence, Remembrance Psalms, and Kingship, or Messianic Psalms, and throughout this study, we're going to look at these different kinds and types of psalms. This week, we're going to be in Psalm 1, which is a psalm of wisdom. Last week, we talked about the fact that wisdom psalms are a minor category in the psalms because there's not that many of them, and we also talked about that they're a bit different from the other psalms in that they don't so much deal with how one should address God like most of the rest do, but instead, wisdom psalms instruct us on how to live for God. Wisdom psalms teach us how to live a God-honoring and blessed life. Now, many don't often put those two together, do they? Living a God-honoring life and living a happy life, do they? They don't. They, they, many people think, I either have to put my happiness aside to live for God and live the life He's called me to live, or I can just go out and live on my own the way I want to live and truly be happy. But here's the interesting thing that we learn from wisdom psalms and other wisdom literature found in the Bible. What we learn is that living a life that is honoring to God is the path to true happiness. While living a life apart from and opposed to Him leads to misery and despair. I've seen it time and time again in that office in there. I have. That's really the main point. Of Psalm 1. The psalmist in Psalm 1 teaches us about the path to true happiness. So this psalm is about the pursuit of happiness and how to find it. It even begins with the word happy. The psalmist begins the psalm with this phrase, blessed is the man. That word blessed means happy. So the psalmist is saying here, happy is the man, and then he goes on to give several keys to true happiness. And we're going to discuss these keys this morning. First, the psalmist explains that the blessed man, get this, point number one, is influenced by what is godly. Look at Psalm one Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Again, notice the psalmist begins here with, blessed is the man. Most commentators believe, once again, that word blessed here is is best translated as happy. And these first four words... Indicate to us what this psalm is all about. It's about what the happy life looks like, it's about what the blessed life is. And notice here, the psalmist begins with the negative by telling us what the happy man does not do. He begins by telling us what the blessed man avoids. He says he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. Remember, we talked about this passage a bit last week, and we talked about how this is classic Hebrew poetry here. This is what is called parallelism, and that's a big word that means something real simple. Parallelism means that's when a, a writer is saying the same thing several different ways for emphasis. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. And the main point the author is trying to drive home here is the fact that one of the keys to true happiness is to not be influenced by the ungodly. That's the main point. Yet notice there seems to be a progression here. First notice the wise man, the blessed man, the happy man, does not walk In the counsel of the wicked now that word counsel there means advice all right he's making the point here that the wise man the blessed man does not go and get advice from wicked people it's pretty simple right the blessed man is not influenced by the ungodly that's easier said than done isn't it because there's a lot of wicked influence in our world today, isn't there? There's hardly a place where you can turn to today and not be exposed to ungodly influences. I mean, just turn on the TV, pick up a magazine, listen to it, look for it. Guarantee you'll find it. We are being exposed to these wicked influences left and right, and if we don't heed God's warnings from His Word and be on guard against these types of influences, we too will fall prey to it. Will miss out on a happy and blessed life. So, look at the next line. Notice how it progresses here. The psalmist says, The blessed man also does not stand in the way of sinners. Now, that doesn't mean stand in their way as if to stop them, it's not what he's talking about. This means standing like they stand, living like they live. You see the progression? When you walk in the counsel of the wicked and you allow ungodly influences in, you begin to live like the ungodly live. That's the progression. And I've said it time and time again in here. For us to think rightly, for us to live rightly for God, I almost gave it away. For us to live rightly for God, we must first think rightly about Him. That's just practical. Thinking rightly li- leads to, to living Rightly. The opposite is also true. If we don't think rightly about him and allow ourselves to be influenced by the ungodly, then we will live as they do. And that's what the psalmist is saying. So you see there's a progression here. If you allow yourself to be influenced by the wicked pretty soon, you'll be living as they do. And before you know it, you won't just be walking in the advice and in the counsel of the wicked, but standing in the way of sinners, standing as they stand, living as they live. And before you know it, you'll also be, notice this, sitting in the seat of scoffers. Notice we've gone from walking to standing to sitting. The psalmist Says here, if you allow yourself to be influenced by what is ungodly, you will eventually end up living as they do. And the more you live as they do, you'll finally get to the point where you are sitting among them. Or, in other words, you'll get to the point where you become one of them. And he's not talking about any old sinner here either. He says this progression will lead you to the point where you're sitting with the scoffers. We don't use that word much today. It doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> the scoffers are simply those who are, not just those who are against God because of their sin, but they're the ones who are, they, they, they despise God. They mock God. They're wicked. So we have to be on guard against these influences and not be given over to it because if we let the ungodly counsel in and we allow ourselves to be influenced by it listen folks the results can be disastrous so notice what we have here the psalmist is instructing us the reader on the wise path to take and it's pretty obvious what he's getting at right he's teaching us how to live a god-honoring and blessed life by directing us down the right path path. Look at verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This here, folks, is the path to true blessing. This here is the path to happiness. Notice here that the happy man, the blessed man, is the one who is not influenced by the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The psalmist is Is calling for his readers to delight in and and meditate upon God's written revelation. The psalmist is saying here happy is the man who loves God's word, who delights in it, who looks to it and reads it and studies it and meditates upon it and and memorizes it. When? Into verse 2 day and night. Now, does that mean we're always like this, with our head in our Bibles, not looking where we're going? Is that what what he's saying By day and night? No, but what it means is, when we're not reading God's Word, when we're not studying God's Word, we as believers are to be thinking about God's Word. We're to be talking about God's Word. We're to be praying God's Word back to Him. The psalmist says here, that is the characteristic of a wise and happy and blessed man. Right there. How many of you have heard the saying, you get in what you put in? You reap what you sow. It's so very true. Folks, it matters what we put into our minds. It matters what we let influence us. Let me ask you, what are you letting in? What are you allowing to influence you? Is it godly or worldly? Does it lead to life or death according to the scriptures? Are you being influenced by what you see on TV or in the movies and what you read in magazines? Or are you being influenced by what is said in here in the congregation of the saints and what's being said in here in the word of God? How is your mind being formed and trained? What are you letting in? What are you allowing to influence you? The psalmist is clear. God is clear in His Word that our minds are to be formed and shaped by the Word of God. And my prayer for you is that if you are on the path that the psalmist talks about in Psalm 1 verse 1, I pray that you change your direction today. I pray that You start on the path of the blessed man and allow yourself to be influenced by the teachings in this book. And that you look to it and read it and study it and meditate upon it day and night. Second, the second characteristic of a happy and blessed life is this. The psalmist tells us that the blessed man is grounded in the right place. Look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Remember we said last week, another common feature in Hebrew poetry is figurative language. And like with parallelism, there's a reason this feature. The psalmist doesn't just write in this way because it sounds pretty and is stimulating to the mind. He uses this kind of language to illustrate a point, a very important point. Notice the figurative language used here in verses 3 through 4. There are two images used. The first is of a tree and the second is of chaff. The tree represents the wise man, the blessed man, the happy man, and the chaff represents the foolish, wicked, and the miserable. Now let's first talk about the tree. Look at verse 3 again. The psalmist says The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Now, it's very important whenever we look at imagery in the scriptures that we don't overinterpret the text. You know, putting things in that aren't meant to be there, sometimes we have a tendency to do that. But it's also important that we don't underinterpret it either and miss key points that need to be illustrated. So we have to let the context play in here. Notice here, first off, the tree didn't sprout up by itself, did it? It was planted. That's key. We're also told that the blessed man is like a tree planted where? This is another key part of this illustration here. It's planted by streams of water. So not only is the the happy man, the blessed man planted, but he's planted in the right place. He's planted in a fruitful place. And then the psalmist then breaks from that illustration and he says this. In all he does, he prospers. He's making the point that a prosperous life, a blessed and happy life, get this, has everything to do with where you are planted, with where you are grounded. A prosperous man is not the one walking with the wicked. Standing with sinners and sitting with scoffers. He is the man who is planted in the right place, in a fruitful place, in a place that brings life. And again, where's that? It's here. It's here. The prosperous man, the fruitful man, the blessed man, the happy man is one who stands upon this, the Word of God. Look at verse 4 again. Now he's going to give us the fate of the wicked. He says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now what is chaff? You know what chaff is? Chaff is what is found on the outside of grain. And in the first century, when a farmer wanted to separate the chaff from the grain, he would throw the grain up. First he would crush it, and then he would gather it together and throw it up in the air the grain would remain while the smaller chaff would be carried off by the wind. It's called winnowing and it looks like this here. See the chaff being carried off by the wind? The psalmist says, the wicked are like this. They're like small chaff that is carried off by the wind. They have no solid and fruitful base whatsoever. They're like fruitless and useless chaff that is driven away by the wind. What a contrast that's made here between chaff and the strong and mighty and fruitful tree that is planted by streams of water that does not have one leaf that withers. You see how effective figurative language can be? The psalmist is saying that if you walk with the wicked and you stand with sinners and you sit with scoffers, then this is your end right here. This is your end. Your life will be fruitless, useless chaff that is driven away by the wind. Not my words, the psalmist's words. I just deliver the mail. I don't write it. Jesus used a similar illustration in Matthew seven twenty four through 27, when he said, Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Sound familiar? Y'all know this, right? And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So Jesus makes the exact same point as the psalmist in Psalm 1. He says the key to a happy life, to a blessed life, to a fruitful and prosperous life is to have a solid foundation, to be grounded and established in the Word of God. Now notice here that life is not always good for the one with the solid foundation, is it? The storms still come. Just like they can come upon a tree that's planted by streams of flowing water. One who is firmly grounded is not exempt from difficulties, but they are, get this, prepared when they come. They are. You ever been in a tornado shelter, any of y'all? I had a friend of mine whose parents had one and I got to go down into it. And I remember thinking to myself, man, these guys are prepared when a tornado hits. Well, let me ask you this, how prepared are you folks How prepared are you when the storms and the tornadoes of this life hit? Because they will hit. Are you grounded in the right things? Is your hope and happiness anchored in the Word of God? Is there fruit in your life regardless of circumstances? Notice the tree planted by the water. It brings forth fruit in its season regardless of the surrounding circumstances. There are some who are not prepared for the storms of this life and like the chaff will be carried away by the lightest of wind. Believers, that's not to be true of us. It's not. We're to be firmly established. We're to be well-rooted. We're to be grounded in the right place. And again, where is that? It's, it's here, right? It's here in the Word of God. That's why in our mission statement it says that a desire of ours is for you to be established in truth like Bill talked about earlier. Grounded in truth so that you can stand strong and bear fruit no matter the circumstances. We hang our hat on that in here. In this church. We will bend over backwards to make sure you're established in truth. I will. Because I know how important it is. I hang my hat on that. So that's the second characteristic of the blessed man. He is grounded in the right place. The blessed man, the happy man, the fruitful and prosperous man is one who delights in God's word and looks to it and reads it and studies it and memorizes it and meditates upon it and who stands in it and is grounded upon it. Now let's get more specific. What is the message of God's word that we are to be grounded in? If you were to take his message and boil it down and say, what is the fundamental message of God's word? What is it? It's the gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel. It's what God has done for us by his grace in Christ. The happy man, the blessed man, the prosperous and fruitful man is one who is grounded in the gospel. Now, why does being grounded in the gospel lead to happiness? Well, there are lots of reasons, right? Let me just share a few with you. One is because it puts you in your proper place. We all need that, don't we? You know what the gospel teaches? The gospel teaches that life's not all about us. We like to think that it is. And that's the reason why many people are miserable in this life, because they think life is about them, and when life doesn't go their way, they're miserable. Well, you know what the gospel says? Life is not about you. It's not. Now, you are significant insofar as you are created in the image of God, but your life is to be centered upon Him, not yourself. So it puts us in our proper place, and that brings happiness. When we figure out that our life is about Him and to be lived for Him. The second reason the gospel brings happiness is because it teaches us how to be forgiven. Forgiveness brings happiness because that means we no longer... Have anything to prove? You know, we're living to prove something, aren't we? Come out of the womb, wanting to just prove something to somebody. But the gospel tells us we can we can rest in Christ, knowing that in Him, God views us as not guilty but righteous when we make Him Lord, and that brings happiness, does it not? The gospel also teaches us that we as believers are loved and accepted by God. We want to be accepted in this life, don't we? Whenever there is not acceptance and belonging, there is always suffering, always. And at times, rejection can leave deep wounds that are difficult to heal. But get this, the gospel tells us there is divine acceptance for us. Divine acceptance, what's greater than that? So God's love and acceptance, it leads to happiness. The gospel also explains to us what's wrong with the world, and it tells us that we're what's wrong with the world, the sin in our life and in our world, but you know what else? It tells us that God is making right all the things that we have wronged by our own sinfulness and our rebellion. The gospel also tells us that there is one big story unfolding. And we as God's people have a role to play. Therefore, our lives have significance. It has purpose. And it's a success story that ends with us truly living happily ever after. That's how it's done, Willy Wonka. That's what leads to true happiness, right? It's a life lived for Christ. And that should bring us joy and happiness as well, right? So for us to truly be happy... It's it's essential that we're grounded in the gospel. I want to ask you this morning, examine your life this morning. Ask yourself this, am I more like a tree or am I like the chaff? Are you more like the fruitful tree planted by streams of flowing water or are you like the chaff that is carried off by the wind? Listen, God calls for us to be like the tree. And he tells us, That that's what truly leads to happiness, being the tree that is planted in the gospel. I love the old hymn, The Solid Rock. Listen to these lyrics. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So that's the second characteristic of the blessed life. It's grounded in the right place. He is grounded in the gospel. There's a third and final characteristic of the blessed man and the happy man, the prosperous and fruitful man, and it's this. The blessed man keeps an eternal perspective Look at verses 5 through 6. We're almost finished. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice once again here, we see this is classic wisdom literature. Here again we see there is a contrast that the psalmist is giving between two paths. You have the path of the blessed man and the path of the miserable man. The path of the wise and the path of the fool. And throughout this psalm, the psalmist has been contrasting these two paths. And here he tells us where these two paths end. Look at it again. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now when the psalmist says that the wicked will not stand in the judgment, that doesn't mean the wicked will not be judged. It means they won't pass the judgment. That's why he says what he does in the very next line. Sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, those who have taken the wrong path, those who have rejected Christ, who have turned to go at life on their own, We're told they will not stand in that day, but will be condemned. That's the end for the wicked. And contrasted to this is the end of the righteous. We're told that those who put their trust in the Lord, those who meditate upon His Word and are not influenced by the wicked, nor stand with sinners, nor sit with scoffers, the psalmist tells us that those individuals will be considered righteous. And folks that's the path that leads to true happiness. Listen though happiness can and should be pursued in this life many don't find it because they're looking in all the wrong places. Listen the things of this world cannot give you what you crave. Just can't. Your cravings are, are they run deeper. They go beyond. What this world can offer. That's why a guy like John D. Rockefeller, who had all the money anybody could ever want, was left wanting. Remember his quote? When asked how much money is enough, what'd he say? Just a little bit more. Because happiness is not to be found in the temporal things of this world. By definition, temporal things cannot bring happiness that lasts. The only thing that can bring lasting happiness is a relationship with God and a life lived for him. That's it. So the blessed man keeps this perspective. The blessed man lives this life for the life to come. The blessed man lives each day with that final day in mind when Christ returns. Let me end with this. Folks, there's a future day of judgment coming question this morning is, are you ready for it? Are you ready? Hopefully many of you are. Some of you think you are, and you're not, and I pray that God would re- reveal that false sense of security to you. Some of you are unsure, and I pray that you be sure, and some of you know for a fact that you're not ready. No, I can't know each and every individual circumstance in here this morning. What I can do is this to end. I can tell you how each and every one of you in here can be prepared when that day comes. Scripture teaches that God, when he initially created man, he created him holy and happy and in right relationship with himself. But you know what happened, right? an age-old story man chose to go at life on his own and as a result of that act of disobedience sin entered into the world and ruined and wrecked God's in man's perfect relationship and as a result of that sin death came to us all physically and spiritually and death folks is the greatest consequence of our sin and our greatest enemy in the world but though that's the case there's some incredible news though we've sinned against god though we have severed that relationship with him and now die as a result of our own sinfulness you know what scripture tells us this that god demonstrated his great love for us by reaching out to us again Through the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to this earth to be for us what we cannot be for ourselves, perfect inside and out, and to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, make us right with God. And how did he do it? He did it by willingly taking on and experiencing the greatest consequence of sin for us. Christ willingly went to the cross, took on the sins of this world, your sins and my sins, and he was put to death in our place so that we could be made right with God. Christ experienced death for us, physically and spiritually. Why? So that we can live. He conquered death with his death so that we might live. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Listen, you want to be ready for your day of judgment. You want to be ready to stand before God. You must have the work that Christ has done applied to your life. And you can have that today. Listen, you can be like a tree that's planted by streams of water that is fruitful and blessed and happy and prosperous if you would turn from your sins and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Let's pray.